The Old Testament reading is from Isaiah 60. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and His glory will be seen upon you. And nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around and see. They all gather together. They come to you. Your sons shall come from afar, and your daughters shall be carried on the hip. Then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and exult, because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the nations shall come to you. A multitude of camels shall cover you, the young camels of Midian and Ephah. All those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense and shall bring good news, the praises of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The epistle reading is from Ephesians chapter 3. It too is about uh, the inclusion of the Gentiles into God's family. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in Him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the second chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. In assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel." And then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go, search diligently for the child, and when you found him, bring me word, that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother. And they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. 
And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. So this is Epiphany. This is the Sunday uh, when we think about the wise men, which is the Gospel reading for this morning, the story of the uh, wise men bringing gifts to the uh, newborn Jesus. Um, just to rehash the story real quick for you, they see they're from the east somewhere, probably uh, someplace like Persia. Uh, they're magi, which is a word for uh, counselors, astronomers slash astrologers. Those two things went together in the ancient world. And uh, we, don't, we don't actually know exactly uh, what this phenomenon that they've seen in the sky is, some sort of uh, uh, bright light. And we don't know if it's uh, something natural that God is using to point them to himself or if it's something supernatural that they can see and everybody else can see or that maybe just they can see. We don't know. But at any rate, they get up and they travel uh, to the Levant because uh, they're convinced that uh, the new king of the Jews has been born and they want to come uh, pay their respects to him. They're also convinced that he must be some sort of powerful ruler because he's accompanied with uh, powerful signs in the sky. And so they're going to come pay their respects. And when they get there, Herod finds out. Uh, Herod's angry and uh, tells them, uh, go find him, let me know where he's at, and I'll come worship him too. Uh, the wise men get tipped off by an angel that Herod's not really interested in worshiping him. And so uh, they leave without telling Herod where they found him. And then uh, the story of the Holy Innocence will be the uh, uh, reading right after this one where Herod comes and uh, executes all the children, uh, all, the, all the male children around Bethlehem, uh, two years and younger. So there's two key parts of this story. Uh, this is not going to be anything uh, mind-blowing for you. Uh, there's two key parts of the story of the Magi, and the first is um, it's about the end of this bad king's reign. Uh, Herod is aware now that there's a new king in town. Uh, you know that he's aware of this uh, because he takes it seriously. If he hears that there's a baby, bo- baby born who's going to be the new king, and he doesn't take it seriously, he just blows it off. Okay, whatever. Uh, but he takes this seriously enough to kill a bunch of uh, innocent people to try and get rid of it. The bad old king is aware that the new, true, good king is here, and he's desperate to stop that from happening. N.T. Wright tells a story. He was preaching this text at a Christmas service one time, and uh, there's a famous, uh, he doesn't say the guy's name, but there's a famous a skeptical historian whose family had convinced him to come to the service. N.T. Wright was, the, uh, he was the canon at uh, 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 Westminster Abbey for a while, and he was the Bishop of Durham for a while, so he had big churches, you know, and, and people will show up at churches on Christmas Eve. So they come to hear this Christmas sermon, and he preaches about uh, this story, and this guy comes up to him at the end, he's friends with him from the academic world, and says, I finally get it today, I finally get it, why everybody loves Christmas. It's because... Babies are sweet and innocent, and they're they're not offensive to anybody. So whether you're a Christian, a devout Christian, or whether you're an atheist or an agnostic or anything in between, like Christmas is kind of safe for you because babies are safe. And N.T. Wright said, actually, that's, that's, that's the exact opposite of the point here. This baby is extremely dangerous. This baby is determined to be the king of the whole world. And is determined that all the other fake kings are going to bow to him someday. 
Herod gets it. Herod gets it, this baby's dangerous, and he's determined to stop Jesus. That's the first part of the story. The second part of the story, of course, is strange, weird arrival of foreigners, foreigners who want to worship this new king of this little tiny province, which doesn't even belong to itself. It's a part of the Roman Empire. It's not even charge of itself. These guys on this caravan come in to worship this new true king. Now, because this is a little bit weird, the whole mechanics of it, you know, the star and the, they're being from so far away and traveling for, it would probably took them months and months to get across the Arabian desert to where they're at. That part's weird. But the, the fact that kings from foreign countries, magi from foreign countries are coming to worship Jesus, the new true king, is not weird. It's, it's actually anticipated in the Old Testament. That's our uh, Old Testament reading from today. So if you can look at this with me, Isaiah 60. Let's talk about Isaiah 60 for a few minutes. I, I don't know, you probably, I'm going to guess that you're reading this and you're not thinking about the wise men until you get to verse 6, where it says that bit about bringing gold and frankincense. And then you're like, oh, this is a wise men text, right? Well, yeah, I mean, the reason why, I think the reason why Matthew highlights that the gifts that, that, that were brought by the Magi included gold and frankincense is that Matthew has Isaiah 60 in mind. And he sees that as a fulfillment of Isaiah 60. Let's talk about Isaiah 60. And we'll we'll read through it bits and pieces here in a few minutes. One of the major themes of the Old Testament prophets is the return from exile. Let me tell you really quick, I'll do this in in, in 30 seconds. The story of the Old Testament. God creates a world. It's a beautiful world. It's designed to glorify him. It's designed to reflect his character. He puts human beings who are designed to reflect him on the planet Unfortunately, they rebel against him and create brokenness in the fall. God comes up with a plan to rescue them by calling Israel. Through Israel, he's going to rescue his whole creation. However, Israel's not faithful to the covenant because, like me and you, we're just not faithful people. So they're punished by being sent into exile. This happens in bits and pieces, but a big date is uh, 586 B.C., where the Neo-Babylonian Empire destroys Jerusalem and ships off the big bulk of the population back over to Babylon. However, while they're in Babylon, and for centuries after that, the people of Israel talk about, they think about, they long for home. And not just in the way that you long for home when you're away at school or if you're on a business trip. Longing for home because that's God's country. We want to go back there and rebuild the temple. And they believe, we know this from the prophets, they believe that when they do get to go back and rebuild the temple, that will be the sign that God has forgiven them, the exile is over, and they are welcomed back home. It's a common theme. And you see this in verse 4. Lift up your eyes all around and see. They all gather together. They come to you. Well, who? Your sons shall come from afar, and your daughters shall be carried on the hip. Your kids were taken off into exile by the Babylonians, 586 B.C., Keep on looking for them because someday you're going to see them coming back home. Your children are going to come back home. However, in some parts of the Old Testament, big parts of Isaiah, parts of Ezekiel, some parts of Jeremiah, included in this notion that God's people, the Jews, are going to come back home someday and the exile is over, is also included the notion that the Gentiles themselves will be pulled along with them to come back home themselves, the home that they never knew that they had. The home that they were created for, but that they abandoned long ago in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve rebelled. 
that all of us, our true home is Jerusalem. Our true home is Zion. And when the exile's over, we'll be headed back in that direction. Look at verse um, um, uh, 3. Nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. When the exile's over, nations, not just you, but nations and kings will come back home to Zion with you. Look at verse 5. Then you shall see, when the exile's over, then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and exult because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. It's economic language here. Like the sea is the place where money gets made in the Mediterranean world. It's the, it's the place where trading happens. The abundance of the sea will come to you. The wealth of the nation shall come to you. Verse 6, a multitude of camels shall cover you. Like just taken by itself. That seems unpleasant. But what it means is uh, camels, caravans, uh, bringing their trade from Asia up from Africa are going to be pouring into Israel, bringing all that money and all those goods with them. The young camels of Midian and Ephah, all those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense and shall bring gospel, the praises of the Lord. So there's this notion that all the nations are going to come. And that's actually what the, 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 the story of the Magi is ultimately all about. It's not just a weird, random, crazy star, crazy dudes who have the time and the money to ship off for months at a time and take gifts to some little nobody, king, baby that they've never met before, who actually isn't even really the king, because Caesar's really the king of that territory. It's kind of a weird story, except for it's bound to happen. If you're reading the Old Testament, it's guaranteed that this is going to happen. Why do they show up? Because they see the light, right? They see the light of the star. Isaiah is pulling on this. This is the hymn that we sang right before the sermon. We're in the chorus. We sing, Arise, shine, for your light has come. Arise, shine. For your light has come, Isaiah tells the people of Judah. What does the story of the Magi do? We talked about what it's about. You know, it's about the the fall of the old bad king and the rise of the new one, and then the nations coming to worship that one. What does the story of the Magi do to me and you? Well, it does, it does three things, I think. Uh, we'll talk, let's just run over the first two real quick, and then we'll talk about the third one. The first thing it does is it identifies who the true king is. Right? It's, it's a baby. But it's also, these guys are coming along, these magi are coming along and saying, that's actually the true king of the Jews. So it lets you know that this baby Jesus, it's another evidence, along with the angels singing, glory to God in the highest in Luke 2, that this guy, this baby, is the true king. And number two, it also connects it to Old Testament prophecy about the Gentiles coming in. But here's the third thing. This is the one I want to focus on now. It's about mission. It's not just a random story about something that happened back then, and oh wow, I guess Jesus really is the Son of God. It's a paradigm. It's what we are supposed to be doing. You and I are called to arise and shine so that the kings of the world, all the nations, the ships, all the camels, will pour into the kingdom of God because our light is shining And we have arisen, and people can't resist it. That's ultimately what the story of the Magi is doing, is it's calling us, uh, it's calling us to go on mission. Because the fact is, is that people are lost. Not, not, I don't mean lost in a sort of generic, like religious sense, you know, like lost people, we say, and then we don't think about, well, actually, what are they lost in? People are lost in darkness. What verse two says, for behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. This is actually the way that people live their lives. 
like blinded. And I don't mean ignorant. I don't mean like that Christians are smart. This is not true. Frequently Christians are dumber than unbelievers. I mean that people don't see reality. They're swallowed up in darkness. Because I had a friend at uh, the place that I worked at uh, when I was uh, in grad school. And this, this guy would always say to me, he would be like, I just got to make it to the weekend. I just got to make it to the weekend. And, and you, uh, you know what he's talking about, right? I mean, you're going to work every day and you don't really like it. And if you could just get to the weekend, you can have two days where, in his case, he was going to get plastered. But you have two days where you can sleep in and uh, you watch a little TV, you can watch your college football, uh, maybe do a little yard work before you got to go back to work. And what he means is simply that I have to go to work five days a week because I have to make money to buy gas, to put into my car so I can drive to work five days a week. And really the only thing that I have in my life worth looking forward to is I'm going to go out with my friends and get hammered. And then I'm going to sleep in, I'm going to wake up, and I'm going to watch the Chiefs play on Sunday. And I know that whole time that I've got 48 hours, and then it's back to work to make money to put gas in my car and to pay for the cable bill so I can watch the Chiefs. And this is actually how he lived his life. And there was a part of him that was sort of perfectly contended with that. It was a fine trade-off. I'll be miserable five days a week so that I can watch the Chiefs one day a week. That's blindness. Do you really want to do that? Do you really want to live your life with no purpose or meaning, like just sort of spinning your wheels, going to sleep knowing that you're going to have the same lousy day the next day? And beer and football on TV is really the only pleasure in the world that you have. This is blindness. This is how people live their lives without purpose. The guy was just as smart as anybody else I know. He was a super nice guy. I'm not saying he's a bad guy. I'm saying he's lost. And you frequently feel like this too, don't you? People walk and they live in darkness, but the light has shone. And we, you and I, have been called to arise and shine and be this beacon of light that shines out into their lives. Your light will rescue them. What is your light? Your light is the light of the gospel, the light of a transformed life, the light of the power of God's word working in your life and working out through your life. You don't actually have to live for college football or pro football. Sorry, the Chiefs play in the NFL. You don't actually have to live for the weekend. You can go to your job and love your work. Not because maybe maybe you hate your work, but it's your vocation, and so you can buy into it if you do that. If you go to your job and you do it as God's calling in your life, even if it's not the favorite job that you've ever had, even if there's something that you'd rather be doing, but it's you see it as God's calling in your life. You will be People will see you as an alien or some kind of foreigner, some kind of weirdo. If you love your spouse, people will see you as a weirdo. People will see you as foreign. If you don't tell spouse jokes, if you want to be with your spouse, if you love your kids, I mean, really love your kids, people will see you as a weirdo. If you are honest, people will see you as a I'm not saying, I'm not, I'm not saying that, that other people don't love their kids, but I mean, I'm on social media. People complain about their kids, right? If you're the kind of person who says, you know what? I love taking care of my kids. 
It's maybe not the most favorite thing in the world. It's a lot of hard work, but I just love doing it. You will be seen as a weirdo. But you will be seen as an attractive weirdo. People will be attracted to somebody who actually is a just person. People will be attracted to you when you are actually a loving person. People will be attracted to you when you care for the customers. If you're the kind of person who doesn't complain and make fun of the customers who come in, you'll be seen as an alien, but as an attractive alien. You will be the light. You will be the difference. You will be the light that people are drawn to like moths. Because you will be weird, but you will be purposeful. You will be odd, but you will have meaning. You will be a stranger, but you will have connections with other people that most people don't have and can't even imagine exist because they live their lives in the darkness, fumbling around, not really aware that other people are there unless they bump into them. That's the kind of light that can shine through you. This is your light. Arise, shine, for your light has come. What he says here, verse 3, nations shall come to your light. It is your light that you guys have, but it doesn't come from inside of you. It comes from outside of you. It's a light that comes from outside of you. Verse 1 again, arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. It's not your light, it's not you, your personality, or your intelligence, your winsomeness bubbling up out of you. It's the glory of God that shines on those of you who know him. Look down at verse um, uh, 2. Darkness shall cover the earth, thick darkness of peoples, but the Lord will arise upon you and his glory will be seen upon you. It is God's light that shines on you and that light, it's the light of his word, preached, read in the sacrament. It's the light of the Holy Spirit using these things to create justice, love for your family, honesty, love for the environment, creating it in you, pouring out of you so that they see that and can't resist coming to it. Now, like I said, a lot of us, even those of us who are believers, have got to a place where we're unaware of this. We're like, well, I actually feel purposeless too. I actually live for the weekend. I actually complain about my spouse or my kids. I make fun of customers. And maybe I'm not always upstanding and honest at work. That's but, but the difference between those of you who are believers and the unbelievers who are living in darkness, is that you actually have the light on you. You just have decided, for whatever reason, we all do this from time to time, we've decided to close our eyes. There's a difference between being blind and having your eyes shut. Open your eyes. The glory of God is all around you. His word is pouring down on you right now. The Holy Spirit is filling up this room and filling up your hearts. Open your eyes. And the light of God's glory will shine in you, on you, through you, attracting people like a lighthouse, attracting lost sailors bouncing around in a storm out out at sea. You're not the lighthouse. I'm sorry, you are the lighthouse. You're not the light. You get to be the lighthouse, but God is the light shining through you. All you have to do is just be there. Arise, shine, open up your eyes. God is the, God sent his son to be that true light. That's what John 1 says, right? John says that he, Jesus, is the true light which shines on every person. Jesus himself says, I am the light of the world. There's darkness everywhere. There's darkness in our own hearts, of course. There's darkness in our own family lives, in our work lives. There's especially darkness all over the world outside of here. 
But God has sent his light to shine through us. And the name of that light is Jesus Christ. Amen.